New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. Hello, I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Today, I'm hosting Edwin Rutsch, and he is the founding director of the Center for Building a Culture of Empathy. Edwin, welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. I know that you have dedicated your work to starting empathy circles and spreading this idea of empathy as a way to bring the cultural divides that exist within any society, and especially our society right now in the U.S. So first of all, what do you mean by empathy? What are you talking about there? Well, for me, empathy is to listen deeply to someone, to follow along with them where they want to lead, and to sort of feel into their experience, uh, just become very comfortable and familiar with what it is that they're saying and feeling and experiencing. And then there's also a self-empathy, which is to feel into my own experience and for others to really hear me. And it may be an empathic relationship is where you listen to each other and really follow and connect with each other more deeply. So I know that you have a whole technology that's very, very simple in these empathy cafes that you do. And they're done in many different ways at political rallies or online. You just you do them in all sorts of places. And they are a technology where people really listen deeply to one another, reflect back to one another what they've heard. They don't necessarily have to agree with them, but they they want to accurately reflect back to what they've heard so much so that the person speaking really feels heard and then they change positions and that listener gets to then speak and then be heard and reflect back so that's just basically the technology right there based on active listening or empathic listening mutual empathic listening exactly and it's not that we agree with one another but we really hear one another And then we start to learn from one another. Oftentimes, when I've noticed as I've participated in this whole process, I've learned something that I didn't know before that surprised me, especially when I'm listening to someone who is from an opposite pole from my belief systems. And it's quite outstanding. I would love for you to talk about where you'd like to take these circles or these cafes and what you'd like to do. What's your big vision? We're now doing these empathy circles across the political divide with conservatives and liberals, and that we want to scale this up to take it to the politicians. So here in California, we're reaching out to our politicians in Sacramento to have them do empathy circles with each other to talk about how we can bridge this political divide, how we can address different issues, 
And so we're trying to be more assertive, just not saying, you know, please, will you listen? It's time to listen. It's time to model listening. And so our assembly member in, in my district has said that she would be willing to have an empathy circle with a conservative. She's on the progressive side. So we're working at trying to arrange those now. And we just went to the Republican state convention here and reaching out to conservatives to invite them to take part in circles. So we're really trying to be more assertive to reach out and involve our politicians to take part in these dialogues and really to model mutual listening. So are you saying that you're going to, I'm just imagining this, setting up a table outside of the legislature, let's say in California? Well, we're starting with <laughs> invitations. Right? Oh, okay. So we're, we're starting off with sending an invitation, going to the meeting with them and saying, will you take part? And then... If they don't, we have the empathy tent, which is an actual tent that says empathy tent on it. It's got signs around it. So we want to set up on the Capitol steps and sit there. And we're here demonstrating for you to talk to each other, to have an empathy circle with each other. And then if you don't, if they won't, maybe we'll occupy empathy. We'll do an empathic occupation here. We're here until you start talking to each other. So I think we need sort of more of an assertiveness to get the sides to talk to each other. It's not like, well, please talk to each other. If that's not enough, we need to ratchet it up a little bit. And you, you and I had talked about we need to get the political pundits and the news media to do the same thing. So could we get Sean Hannity and Rachel Maddow from Fox and uh, MSNBC to actually have an empathy circle with each other and you know, take some steps to have, get them involved. So it's that assertiveness is what I've been trying to move towards. We've been doing it with the political rallies we set up and we are there in the middle of these street fights and there's a political left and right, you know, battling it out like in the streets of Berkeley or wherever. And the empathy tent is there offering to listen and to bring the sides together. We were talking off mic before we started this cafe, and we were talking about the media and the idea of coming up with creative solutions. And I was saying, well, you know, I'm not sure how we would get, let's say, Rachel Maddow and Hannity, because they're earning their living off of the ratings they get in the media. So maybe they wouldn't want to come together and actually work this process into such a way where they really hear each other and demonstrate that. And you challenged me on that, and I, I liked your challenge. Yeah, so the first thing is we invite them and see what happens. And the second, you, know, you could occupy their offices or you know, set up the empathy tent outside of their, I think they're in New York, you know, set up an occupation there to say, we want to have uh, you dialogue with each other and be assertive about it. So I think we're sort of moving in that direction. You know, the sides, the polarization is very assertive. There's a lot of people asserting themselves and that if we want to have constructive dialogue, that we need to assert ourselves as well. You can't just sit back, throw up your hands. You know, it's like, well, the world is just going to hell in a handbasket. It's like, no, we want the sides to talk to each other, and we're going to speak out for that and take action to make that happen. So I can see that the ratings for that program could go sky high. And I really believe in the process. I've participated in the process, and I can see where 
I ended up opening myself up to ideas I had never thought about, especially when I was talking with someone across the aisle, so to speak, in these small cafes. Of There were only four or five of us in the cafe. We did it virtually online. Mm-hmm. And I found that my eyes were open. I listened to a conservative man, and I really heard things I hadn't heard before that I hadn't considered before. So I grew through that. So mm-hmm. I can see, like, if Rachel Maddow and Sean Hannity really, really going through this process and doing it openly where we can all watch into it and see it being modeled. Yeah. We were talking about what is sort of the motivation or the ratings you're talking about with the ratings. When it's the street fight, when people are screaming and yelling at each other, there's this cortisol high that kind of happens and that's the engaging part. And like if people are dialoguing, what is the the experience of it. And it's really when people connect with each other and creative ideas get formed, that creativity is a high in itself. There's the oxytocin. When people are in a fight, there's high cortisol, your body's full of that stress hormone. It's a bit of a, a jolt and can be fun and engaging. But there's also when people connect and understand each other, there's that warmth, that sense of connection, which is oxytocin in the body which is that warm, connecting feeling. It's also a gateway for the creativity, the endorphins of, oh, I've got an idea of how we can solve this problem. So the whole problem solving becomes fun and engaging. So if Rachel Maddow and Sean Hannity would solve a problem together, there could be some real energy in that. So that might be something that would engage as well as it's kind of like the right thing to do. You know, it, kind of, it kind of heals instead of creates deeper wounds. So there's that whole just awareness of what is really the constructive thing to do in life. As you were talking, it just reminded me of something else. Maybe a dialogue between Rachel Maddow and Hannity wouldn't be sexy or attractive enough. And yet, there's an example of a program that's on TV called This Is Us. The whole program is based on empathy. Mm. It's not flashy. Mm -hmm. In other words, it's not explosions or big conflicts. It's about ways that we start to hear one another. That's a highly rated, highly watched program. So that goes against Mm -hmm. my fear that, oh, it's not going to be sexy enough because we are, as human beings, attracted by that which brings us together. We actually get excited about it, I think. Am I putting words in your mouth? No, I don't no, that is that, it is that sense of connection. It feels good. Like For me, a big part of the work here is I grew up with sort of a generation gap with my family, you know, growing up in the 60s and early 70s. And it was sort of that alienation, you know, between the family members. And then it's learning empathy, being able to listen. There's a sense of connection that happens. And it's very beautiful to just have that feeling of connection versus that alienation between family members. So that sense of connection just feels good. And I think we all need it and deeply desire it. So what you may be talking about is maybe a generation that grew up in the Depression or in World War II. And that was their main focus when they were forming their whole philosophy of life and how to live safely in their culture. 
And then you come along and are born like in 1964, and then your whole orientation is a very different world. There's, you know, the LSD culture, and then there's the new religions coming from the East, and, you know, Buddhism and and all of that, and rock and roll. It's a very different sort of thing. And mm-hmm. so you're yeah. saying that there's well, something... Well, the personal freedom, you know, that you had to really put your head down, really work and sort of obey versus, you know, being more independent, having your freedom and some of those things that sort of divided, uh, I think, the culture. And I kind of would have liked to have seen that in the 60s, instead of like demeaning the straits and you know, all the things that that 60s movement did to sort of alienate people that are conservative if it would have been an embrace they say we're here to listen to what you have to say and we want to be heard as well and in fact when i was traveling in the 70s it was actually a, a friend that i made on the road that had that mindset we did a lot of traveling And when I think about it now, that that's actually where I kind of learned a lot of this mindset to be non-judgmental, to really connect with the full spectrum of of humanity. And more recently, you know, I've gotten better at the empathic listening with the family. Like, how do you actually do this? How do you actually listen to each other and really connect? You know, everyone yearns for that in their families and in their intimate lives to have a place where they can connect deeply with each other and see that humanity in each other. So if we can spread that to the wider culture. I'm hearing you say that you've developed a deep satisfaction then of being able to talk across that divide. And the hippies were really noisy. And so they had the attention of the media and what got lost there was a whole group of conservative people who were more quiet about what they're doing and how they were feeling, and no one was asking them. Yeah. I look back and I think if the 60s had been more about an empathy movement at that time, it could have helped to heal. I mean, we're still dealing with those splits now, and they're even getting worse. And if at that time the hippies had been about, oh, I'm going to go listen to the the right-wing the cowboys to the rednecks to the squares to the straights or whatever it was it was like we're here to listen to you and in fact when i think about it if all those different movements like the the civil rights movement the women's suffrage if those movements had been about empathy that it's not just us trying to get our voice heard but we want everyone's voice heard we're not going to diminish your voice we're actually going to help you be heard so I think that could have been a different pathway, and even with the LGBT you know, rights, which all those are important, but if they had had a quality of listening to and dialogue with the other side instead of we're just going for our rights, for our voice to be heard. And it's hard when your voice hasn't been heard to have that space to hear the others too, so there is that difficulty. But the technology but, you use. Yeah, really makes it possible for that voice to be heard so deeply, to really be heard. And that's the idea that, Edwin, I hear you saying, it's never too late. Yeah. It's like if we could even shift rallies now. Instead of a rally, it's like we're protesting. It's like we're going to have empathy circles in the rallies. It's like we're dialoguing, and there's no enemy 
And whoever the other side is, if it's like with the right wing, come to Berkeley. And the first thing is, is the left just comes out and counter demonstrates, says you're hateful. And then Antifa comes to fight and it just turns into a brawl. And instead, if the left or whatever would come out and say, we're here to listen. You know, there's like five or 10 of us in the empathy tent doing that. But if we would have had 100, 200 people coming out, listening to the conservatives, sitting down in some chairs, having empathy circles, instead of the whole city being plastered with 20,000 signs that said against hate, it's like we're for <laughs> empathy and we're here to listen to you. And we're going to dialogue. And actually that happened. We went to Sacramento to a right-wing rally that it was only our empathy tent, a small group of us. And we offered listening. And five people from Identity Europa came. And they were the ones that had the tiki torches at Charlottesville. So five of the Identity Europa folks came sat down at the empathy tent, and we did an empathy circle with them. And we're actually teaching them to do empathic listening. So I think that is the way forward. Instead of screaming and yelling at people, instead of judging them, say, will you do an empathy circle with us? We will listen to you, and here's how to listen to us, and we'll have a constructive dialogue together. And they were willing to do it. They really tried. Uh, you know, one of our members is Jewish, and the topic of the Holocaust came up, and what does Nazism mean? And he said, you know, it means that half my family members were killed, and the other half were spread around the world. And then the right-wing person, at first, he didn't really want to say it, and it took him... It was like three times he was saying other things and a friend was saying, no, you're not hearing me, say it again, you're not hearing me. And then one of the other Identity Europa guys that had a bit of experience with this is, just tell him what you heard. <laughs> and he just said it, he just said it the way he heard it. And my friend, like, they heard me, they really got me. And he just still speaks about it now that they got it. They heard me. Even if they don't agree with it, they still heard me. Mm. And we continued. And at the end, you know, we actually gave him a hug. Oh, that's you know, great. So. I love it. So we're going to have to wrap this up. But what I see is deep listening SWAT teams of empathy. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what you're doing, SWAT teams of empathy. I love it. Thank you so much, Edwin, for being with us on the New Dimensions Cafe. Thank you, Justine. Pleasure. It's been my pleasure as well. I've been here with Edwin Rutsch, and he spells his last name R-U-T-S-C-H, Edwin Rutsch, and he is the founding director of the Center for Building a Culture of Empathy. His website is cultureofempathy.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms, and I want to thank you for joining us at the New Dimensions Cafe, and I invite you to please join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org.
New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.